Hello and welcome to this, the first ever Arts Professional Partner Pod, brought to you on this first occasion by no fewer than three of the lovely editorial partners of Arts Professional, Baker Richards, Ticket Solve and Substract. I'm Robin Cantrell-Fenwick, the publisher of Arts Professional and the chief exec of Baker Richards. This first partner pod has been recorded on stage in the uh, beautiful uh, Conway Hall in London in front of a an equally beautiful crowd of 200 uh, people. And why don't you say hello to prove you're there? Hello. <laughs> They're really there. Fantastic. Thanks so much. We're here as part of Recharge 2023, a conference organised by TicketSolve. And uh, I'm joined on stage by an embarrassment of excellent industry folks. Let's ask them to introduce themselves. Why don't I start with you, Ian? My name is Ian Christie. I am Head of Marketing at Liverpool's Royal Court. Um, I'm Katie Moffat. I am Head of Sector Engagement Europe at Substract. Substract are our digital agency. We do website builds, we do consultancy. Good afternoon. I'm Penny Hansen. I'm Head of Commercial Activity at the Crescent Theatre in Peterborough, very much a regional touring venue. I'm a veteran ticket solver, so it's great to be on the stage for a change. We are recording this at the end of February 2023, just weeks after the Collins Dictionary crowned their word of the year for 2022, uh, a word that was probably new to many of us. Well, every year, Collins, the dictionary people, publish their top 10 words to reflect our ever-changing language. And the one that was picked as the word of the year, permacrisis. War, chaos, instability, Brexit, inflation. Well, there is now a new word to describe all of this. Permacrisis. Yes, that's right. It's the happy, cheerful and uplifting session in the afternoon programme uh, of, of Recharge 2023. We will try not to drag you down. And I don't know if you got the hint there, but the word was permacrisis. And uh, well, let's hear what the Collins Dictionary mean by that. Permacrisis is a noun, meaning an extended period of instability and insecurity especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. The first thing I'd like to do is to take the temperature of our panel and the audience in the room by asking you whether you feel the arts are truly living through a state of permacrisis right now. Penny? Based on the definition that you just presented, then I think, yes, absolutely we are, because it feels very much as though the minute we cover, we start to recover from one thing and we start to understand it and we start to get to grips with how we're going to bounce back from it, we're hit with something else. And I think that's, you know, for anybody who's running a venue at the moment, the energy crisis has is just terrifying. You start to see those bills coming in and you just think, well, how on earth are we going to survive? We're still suffering post-COVID with problems with audiences and people coming back to the arts. That's had a huge knock-on effect into the area of recruitment and maintaining a resilient workforce. And I think, yeah, it, it does just feel like one thing after another for us at the moment. Katie? I mean, my perspective is very much digital. So I think, you know, we definitely are in a a state of permacrisis. Arts and culture organisations are struggling to recruit really good people. As we know, lots of people left the sector. That makes it really difficult. Um, and also, in a digital world, the pace of change is so fast. You, you now need to know about AI, you need to know about ChatGPT. You know, it, it changes fast. But I do think... I do think that all of the, over the last couple of years, it has, it has brought people together. It's made people more collaborative. There has been some positives. That's a qualified yes. And so, so I've, got, I've got a yes and a half. Uh, Ian, everything's absolutely fine. I don't know what people are worried about. <laughs> it's the most difficult thing I've found or we found is 
it's really difficult to predict audiences and it's really difficult to benchmark audiences because we're used to growing each year. We're used to looking at, oh, what happened last year? We did this, what happened you know, the year before? Um, and that data is, is essentially useless now. Um, so we're, we're rebuilding that. Our audiences have come back very strong. We're, we've had a really good year last year. We're having a record-breaking year this year. Um, but it does mean that, that there are lots of challenges that we're facing that we haven't changed, faced before. The upside, however, is that we've got lots more things to put in our big marketing book of excuses. So when the board asks why this isn't selling, then you simply refer to whatever's in the news at the time. <laughs> Every cloud. Every cloud, yes, quite. Uh, uh, well, uh, although we're pretty gender balanced as a, as a panel, we're, we're not the most diverse panel, and, and we should acknowledge that, you know, for some, this kind of perma crisis has extended into things like heightened racism, social media abuse, misogyny. Um, uh, looking at the, the, the results from the audience, 75% uh, are saying that we are in a state of perma crisis, with 25% uh, saying that we are not now. Um, but did you feel that there was a breathing space at all between, if you like, the, the end of the pandemic and the cost of living bubbling up? Um, I don't think so. And that's what's established this whole perma-crisis thing. And you can roll Brexit into that as well. Um, and without wanting to be wildly controversial, uh, a dozen years of Tory government, you know, uh, the, the damage that is being done is on top of, on top of, on top of. So it's difficult to unpick and say, okay, this is caused by this part of the crisis, this is caused by that part of the crisis. We're up in Liverpool, we've been protected a little bit from it because we've got things like Eurovision coming up, we've got some long established shows that we've had in that are doing well. Eurovision definitely sounds like the antidote to a perma crisis, if there, if there ever was one. Penny. But in contrast to Liverpool, I'm from Peterborough, which holds the record for being voted the worst place to live in the UK three years in a row. <laughs> so, thank you very much. <laughs> and every time it comes out and every time the local press publish the news article, they completely ignore the fact that there is any culture at all happening in the city and it's a complete black spot and makes us all feel absolutely worthless so it's it's just yeah we're full of optimism in peterborough it's all happening in peterborough it is. <laughs> hi it's robin if you're enjoying the podcast we'd really appreciate it if you would rate it wherever you're listening and if you're thinking that your organization should have a podcast of its very own then Ticketsolve have a great blog post all about getting started. You can find it on the Ticketsolve website at ticketsolve.com. Okay, so we reckon we're in a state of permacrisis. We've heard about the, the various ways in which it's been difficult for us as a, as a sector. Why don't we pick that apart um, a little and look at this from some different perspectives? And there's an opportunity here for our audience to get involved again. We're going to talk a little about how we can best look after people working in our sector during permacrisis. How are we responding together as a sector? How do we ensure that we come through this together as people? But let me come to you first with this question about how we look after our people during this time of permacrisis. Uh, Katie. We need to pay people more money, which I know is easy to say, and I realise it's difficult, right? And that's why so many people left arts and culture sector. But there's so much talk about well-being and let's give people free yoga and all that kind of stuff. But we need to pay people better. Universally, what you see is organisations who do stuff well and who feel that they are doing good work are supported at a senior level. So again, not uh, revolutionary, but really important that we think about how do we get more diverse boards, 
how do we get people in senior teams who actually understand what people are facing on a day-to-day -day basis? And there are interesting sort of different models out there for, for doing some of that. Um, but it's those kind of structural things that really make a difference, I think. I, I agree with you. I think it, it comes down to money. And the, uh, the, the thing that's going on now with cost of living is that everybody is experiencing it from the top of the organisation to the bottom. You're talking about audiences. Will the audiences have enough money to buy theatre tickets? Will the staff have enough money to buy, you know, the, their lunch? Yeah, as an organisation, we've looked at that and we're looking at trying to raise more income whether that's through funding or through marginal price rises, without tipping over that problem of driving audiences away. Penny. Yeah, staff well-being and staff feeling secure in their positions is a real challenge at the moment because the news is so unrelentingly bleak and, as, as we've said, lots of people have left the sector so, and they've left it because <laughs> it's underpaid, they're overworked and there's no job security and, you know... They were working in cyber, apparently, in their tutus, aren't they? Yeah. So, yeah, so I think reassuring staff that there is a future and that it, there is a career and there is potential for them working in this sector is really challenging at the moment, but I think it's the way we need to go. And looking at those career pathways and not pushing absolutely everybody into STEM, but understanding that there are kids who have talents and abilities that don't fit in those boxes who can absolutely thrive in the arts. So true, so true. Um, um, as you've been speaking, the word cloud has been building behind you and right, right at the centre, right at the centre of the word cloud are two words, overthrow capitalism. Starting here this afternoon. I'm starting here this afternoon. So stop voting conservative is up there. Pay is definitely appearing there um, a, a lot. Um, uh, it's disappeared off the screen, but whoever said um, free ice cream is definitely uh, in, 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 in my camp. Um, Okay, let's duck out of the Conway Hall for just a few seconds to remind you of a piece of research made possible thanks to the subscribers of Arts Professional. It's called Arts Pay. Hundreds of people took part in UK-wide salary research, and if you're looking for a benchmark, you'll find what you need there. Just search for Arts Professional Arts Pay to download the report. And there's a really interesting word there about realism. And is there something specific here about how we protect marketing teams, sales teams, um, when they may be, you know, in the line of fire when somebody showed doesn't actually sell out? The marketing team is the most important department in theatre. Um, I think you guys will all agree. And this is... We're very lucky in, in our organisation in that the, the senior management team, there's, there's not very many up at the top. We've grown very quickly from being a small organisation to a big organisation. So we understand. We've all answered the phones in the box office. We've all been running around putting posters up. Um, and you do always have at board meetings, you know, the board member that says, well, I haven't seen a poster in the shop on the end of my street. Uh, uh, so we do, you do have that pressure. Um, and I think there has to be an understanding at senior level. If something doesn't sell, it's not down to people not working, not working hard. We found that anything remotely serious doesn't sell. You know, people are after big, funny, stupid, escapist shows. Anything more serious. And we've looked at the data, and the data shows that the people who were coming to those shows are still coming to the theatre, but they're going to the big, escapist shows. 
it's a difficult conversation to have with producers, but we're very lucky. We do lots of new writing. We create everything ourselves. We produce everything ourselves. If there's a serious show on the slate, we're not doing it. You know, we'll look at that for 24, 25. So in response to Ian's point about the board member, board member who hasn't seen a poster in their local chip shop and... Um, the challenge we have at the moment as well is convincing them. Many of these trustees are, you know, about as diverse as this panel um, <laughs> and potentially of a slightly older generation. And they, they understand traditional marketing. They understand brochures. They understand posters. They've just about got to grips with email. You start talking to them about Google AdWords and they don't know what, they don't understand where your budget's going. They don't understand the data that you're showing them doesn't mean anything. And I think that's the challenge is that the technology is moving so fast, it's really difficult to convince people. Promoters love it because they love the data. They like, they like to be able to see the ROI. But convincing people to invest in that technology at senior level is, is a challenge. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're in 2023. Like, I remember I used to do uh, years and years ago social media training and uh, it was, I sort of started around 2007, 2008 when you could say to a room of people, so who's heard of Twitter? Mm-hmm. And at least a kind of, you know, half of the room would be like, no. And, and yet still we're in a situation where boards, uh, senior management sort of don't have an understanding of, you know, quite critical stuff and they don't need to understand all the detail of it but again what they need to do is trust their teams they need to um they need to understand it in the sense of it helps it's important these people know what they're doing so kind of let them get in with it and and i agree like that's where data can help but the way that you present that and the narrative that you present has to be done in a very particular way right not to confuse them and um, leadership in this time can be a really heavy burden to, to bear and, and hillary carty who's the executive director of the claw leadership program has written an excellent article on this subject on arts professional well worth seeking out and uh, over a not particularly great phone line i asked hillary to read us just a little of it here's what she had to say I learned through my early career in dance that a good stance of readiness means feet firmly placed on the ground, weight slightly forward, knees slightly bent. From this position, you can sway, lean back, walk or jump forward as necessary. My feet are on the ground. We have as much stability as we can muster. My weight is slightly forward with a detailed one-year plan charting our ambitions for the period ahead. But for the bent knees, I hold that plan as a framework and guide rather than a rigid script. The sway accommodates wider listening and gathering of fresh perspectives. I lean back for the support of trusted networks. Walking forward keeps momentum and stirs others to move with the flow. But it's the jump that brings real engagement, the energy of a large impulsion towards those goals, the spark of innovation, the warmth of repetition, the reward of a job well done. I love that. Thank you, Hilary uh, Carty from the CLAW Leadership Programme. You can find that article by searching for Leading Culture in Our Time on Arts Professional. So we've been thinking uh, inwardly about ourselves as an industry. Uh, What about this sector's role in society? What is our role in the wider world uh, as a sector during a state of 
permacrisis. Ian, why don't we start with you? Um, in Liverpool, we're part of a, a shared audience project, um, and we talk about the, the, the drivers. Um, some might be to learn something, to be educated, spend time with family. Uh, ours, broadly speaking, at our venue is to be entertained, and that always comes out flat out top. And we've noticed more and more of that. Um, now, life, I think, for pretty much everybody at the moment is an absolute bin fire. So. <laughs> What you want to do is go somewhere where you don't need to think about it. You can just laugh or just sing or, or just, just be happy. And yes, there will be time when we're here to provide analysis. And yes, there will be time when we're here to provide depth and thought and make people cry. But at the moment, I, I feel that we're here to make people laugh. Yeah, I think I'm part of a, um, despite people being so god-awful to live in apparently um <laughs> i'm part of what's known as the peterborough cultural alliance which is a new collaborative effort set up by cultural organizations across the city in the absence of leadership i shall put it politely from our city council we've kind of taken it upon ourselves to develop a leadership for culture across the city and it's, it's brilliant it's great we define our purpose as being purveyors of joy and I think as we come out of COVID, that shared experience, the joy that comes from live anything, really, be it dance or theatre or music or anything that brings that joy and that shared experience of watching something together with people who you may have never seen before in your life and never going to see again is impossible to replicate. And I think that's our role. Kate. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we should just remember that we don't work in a widget factory we do amazing things and that everybody in this room and everybody who works in the arts and culture sector does do it because it has a visceral effect on people you know we, we've recently worked with the national theater and historically always thought of as the south bank and one of the things that we were working with them on in terms of the website is is you know the fact that you could be in a community center in peterborough or you could be in a cinema in bangor or at home on a sofa and you should be able to experience those things and that if you do that it has a it has a real positive impact katie do you think that kind of value that you've talked about is really appreciated by funders and policymakers and so on is that kind of value recognized again i can only speak really to kind of funding of, of digital type projects and I do think it has changed for the positive massively. It used to be the case that digital, like funding for digital stuff was always about the shiny thing, the new website, the little project over here that then would be left alone and, you know, no, kind of never seen again. And now I think there's a, there's a lot more about understanding about how we fund things to ensure that it does get to a wider audience. You know, people who might not engage with like the National Theatre, who, but who might engage with lots of other cultural things. Um, and I think that just the sort of thinking of things longer term and that we need to invest in skills and infrastructure as much as we do shiny things. Yeah, just, just to make the, the further political point, as uh, you know, before we overthrow capitalism, uh, it, it, it is there's a, a significant impact at the current government are having. Um, and we, we chatted last week, didn't we? We had a quick Zoom to talk about various different things. And uh, we finished off trying to work out who the culture secretary was. Um, <laughs> anybody? But, um, you know, it, it's, it's that kind of, uh, that, that lack of understanding and investment, not just in terms of money, but in terms of time and thought at the very highest level, that's having a funding impact all the way down through the industry. 
And we can only hope that this week's culture secretary is a reader of Arts Pro. Um, so, and a listener to this podcast, I have no doubt. Uh, look, the last question before we get to the AP Partner Pod quiz, which I know you are desperate to get into. Um, how long do you reckon until we return to something that we recognise as some kind of normal state? Uh, Penny, why don't we kick us off? I thought you were going to say, how long do you reckon the culture secretary is going to last? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I want to go back to whatever normal was before, because I think so much has changed and so much has shifted. So I think while we have to hope that it does settle down a bit and give us that breathing space that I feel like we desperately need, from my perspective, we're certainly looking forward. So rather than trying to recover what is potentially lost or at the bottom of that bin fire, let's just draw a line and move on. And I think that that's where we're going and that's what we're trying to do is look at what's next. We're bouncing forward, not back. Actually, that's a really positive way to look at it and I agree. It's that you can talk about getting back to normal, but I don't think anybody is getting back to normal. In terms of when the audience, will the audience bounce back to previous behaviours in terms of taste and uh, you know and how often they come out and where they go yes probably uh, will it take significant societal change yes probably when will that happen the sooner we start to overthrow capitalism the, no, I mean, when will that happen I don't know I don't know I think you've sorted out what the title of this podcast is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, wouldn't, I would just say you can only go forward you can't go backwards and uh, in a digital world for sure I do genuinely think that not to get into AI in this in this uh, in this discussion, but that is going to change things seismically over the next few years. In the same way that social media did a decade ago, um, but let's not worry about that now. Okay, we are into the Ask Professional Partner Pod Quiz. We're going to ask you three questions, and um, in a format brazenly ripped off from another podcast called The Media Podcast because um, uh, no expense has been spent on this. There are no buzzers. So um, uh, you are each going to buzz in with your name. So Katie, you will say... Katie. Exactly. Uh, Penny, you will say... Penny. And Ian, you will say... Ian. And it's going to be interesting because there are only two microphones. So uh, some some of us have got a bit of an advantage here. Okay, let's go into uh, question one. Bradford will be the UK's city of culture in 2025. It's got loads of amazing things planned. Um, But in recent weeks, we've seen some of the cities who missed out on being city of culture announcing that they will go ahead with parts of their planned programme anyway uh, to increase the sum total of joy in the world as we've been uh, talking about. So Ask Professional recently reported one city's plans which were titled Make It So. Which city launched that plan? (laughs) Ian, was it Southampton? It was Southampton. Can I just say, I purely got that off the pond. I was thinking, make it so. What brings it so? Uh, Southampton, yes. As part of the repackaged plans led by Southampton Culture Trust, a proposed Spitfire monument uh, could still be in place by 2025 alongside the restoration of heritage assets. We'll go on to the next question. Uh, As we record this, 276 organisations are just weeks away from joining Arts Council England's national portfolio, but the controversy around organisations losing their funding still rages on. Um, How many organisations will leave the ACE national portfolio at the end of March? And I'm going to help you out here, but give you three options. Is it A, 
141? Is it B, 114? Or is it C, 98? Katie. Go ahead, Katie. A, 141. Any other? Ian, B, 114. Penny, C. <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer is you're all right. You are all right, potentially, because the Arts Council released the number of new entrants, but has so far refused to say how many organisations lost funding. And so uh, the stage came up with 141. Arts Professional thought it was 114. And uh, I spent a day slaving over a hot spreadsheet, and I think the answer is 98. Um, so we don't know for sure, uh, but perhaps the Arts Council will actually tell us someday, maybe. And finally, audience fingers on buttons. Um, so I will read you the question before it appears on screen. So audience and our panel, what major change is going to come into force for arts marketers on the 1st of July this year? Is it A, that the UK formally leaves GDPR? Is it B, that Google Analytics as we know it gets switched off? Is it C, that paid for ticks on Twitter and Meta will become mandatory for organisations? Or is it D, an outright ban on the phrase, give the gift of theatre this Christmas comes into force? <laughs> B, I think. It was Google, it's Google Analytics. Google Analytics. Any other guesses? Hi. I'm, I'm going to go Google Analytics as well, just because I was definitely listening to the talk earlier on. <laughs> well, 25 of the audience have voted 31. It's going up. Let's see what the audience thought was the answer. And yes, 92% of our audience say that Google Analytics, as we know it, will get switched off. And we all have to move over to Google Analytics for the clock is ticking. And we have heard a lot about it today here at Ticket Solves Recharge Forum. Uh, head off to the websites of the lovely people like Substract and One Further, and indeed the Arts Council's Digital Culture Network to find out more. By my count, I think, Katie, you won the quiz. Congratulations, Katie. You win a warm glow, because that's really all we can afford in this era of permacrisis. That brings this inaugural pod to a close. Thank you to this lovely panel of Katie Moffat from Substract, Ian Christie from the Royal Court in Liverpool, and Penny Hansen from The Crescent. Today you've heard footage from Five News, WION, Planet Normal, and BBC Breakfast. Music by Shane Ivers. I've been Robin Cantrell-Fanning from Baker Richards. Audio production by Lillian Race. We've been guests of Ticket Solve and the Conway Hall. This has been a partner pod for Arts Professionals. Thank you very much and goodbye. <laughs>